Morning, morning. Good morning. Wake up, kids. Are you awake over there, kiddo? I'm awake. We have a visitor this morning. We That's do have awesome. a visitor in studio. What's our visitor's name? Uh, Peppa. Peppa. We've got okay. a four-legged friend. Yeah. Four-legged radio host over here. Peppa's a rescue, right? She. We adopted her from okay. an accidental litter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So she's she's almost six, and she hasn't been feeling well, so she's close to mom to be monitored. Yeah. So it's a good day. Everybody's been taking turns cuddling her, and she's a very quiet radio host. She so. is very good. Yes, she's very good. Um, so. But we're oh. having a good day, and the sunshine is out just for you, Bob. Yes. You see good. this? Yeah. Sun's glaring through our studio windows, and uh, it's perking us all up to yeah. talk about, what are we going to talk about today? We're talking about interest rates and how they affect really everything you do. And, uh, uh, you know, rising interest rates have affected us all. Um, yes. But, uh, you know, welcome listeners. I'm Bob Burgey. I'm your host with, of course, Jenna Barr and my daughter, Katie. Katie, say hello. Hello. Yeah. All right. But um, you're listening to Your Wealth, Your Wallet uh, on the Pensacola Expert Panel here on News Radio 92.3. Um, again, I'm Bob Burgey. If you have any questions, uh, if you have any comments, or if you'd like to share a story, uh, please give us a call at 850-437-1620. Again, we're on the Pensacola Expert Panel, and we'd be more than honored to help guide you through whatever financial issues you're navigating this morning. So, interest rates. We came across a great article, How Rising Interest Rates Can Affect Your Financial Plans. So... Ah, rising interest rates. Okay, they affect us profoundly. Uh, all these years, the last 12, 14 years, this, you know, just per- pervasive, um, um, incredibly low interest rate environment, which has served borrowers really well. But as far as savers and fixed income investors, they've suffered. Okay. Because interest rates were low, and of course, borrowing at a low interest rate is good. Saving at a low interest rate, not so good, right? Right. So, Katie, interest rates. Oh, I I read this as well. And by the way, this article is uh, out of the New York Times, most of the information I'm pulling. And um, um, I'll give credit to, uh, it's actually a Nobel laureate in economics that uh, put together a lot of this information. But... We've had a couple of 75 basis point or 0.75% interest rate hikes just this year. And the last one, the the last time the Fed did this was 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. I believe it was 19 years ago. Um, Had an interest rate hike hike of 75 basis points. So... um, we are this is this is a of course an aggressive move by uh the federal reserve bank but how did we get there um how, how did we get to this point where it was necessary to raise interest rates what do you think led to this katie so interest rates they're trying to combat inflation right correct correct so i feel like it all started with the pandemic i do too <laughs> i do too well you know what I, I think there's, you know, and I, I 
put together a list of what they cited as contributing factors to rising interest rates. And the reason, as Katie, as Katie just said, the reason interest rates are going up is to combat inflation, as Katie said. And the thought there is um, if you make the borrowing rate higher, that the economy will slow down, demand will slow down, and and prices will begin to fall or at least level off. And but what are you know besides the pandemic, anything else you can think of that really contributed to um, higher inflation, which led to higher interest rates? Anything else? I, I mean, just the the things that the pandemic affected uh, exactly uh, i think supply chain issues yeah. certainly um a reduced supply um you know productivity was stymied and you know in some cases stopped altogether so we had a shortage and even if demand remained the same if supplies if supplies uh, dropped uh the price is going to go up naturally um but uh uh, the other thing, the other thing, of course, the global pandemic, which led to directly led to supply chain issues. When when things are closed, productivity um, slows or even ends altogether. And certainly, in the case of a manufacturing facility, um, other businesses did well, um, but you know, other businesses did not. But I think we can say, as a general rule, across the country and really across the planet, um, uh, productivity slowed uh tremendously but um how about stimulus checks stimulus checks winding up on you know in everybody's bank account um you know what do you student loans deferred hey that's a good one katie can identify with that um student loan deferral uh what do you call it student loan deferral or deferment student loan deferment i think is what is is the word but if uh, if you had a student loan, and I believe these numbers are correct, 47 million holders of student loans in this country. If 47 million people had their student loans deferred or suspended or whatever the correct term is, uh, but they weren't having to pay on it, um, what did that do to their disposable income? It increased. Yeah. Yeah. So if your disposable or discretionary income increased, what are you going to do with that extra money? Or what do you think you can do? You can spend it. Yep. Consumer. Yeah. yeah. We're all, you know, at the beginning and end of every day, we're consumers. And Amazon. If yeah. So Amazon, but but other things, other things. Um, so the other, the other items cited in this article... Um, uh, let's see, stimulus checks, a strong economy, a very strong economy leading up to that time. Um, low unemployment, everybody was working. So not only were people receiving stimulus checks, but what else happened? A lot of people uh, weren't working and started getting unemployment, right? Yeah. So so their money was replaced in some, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, also, before interest rates went up, what did we enjoy? A low interest rate environment, right? So the cost of funds were pretty cheap before right. interest rates went up. Um, as we mentioned, student loan deferral. Um, and all of this leads to higher discretionary income, higher disposable income, higher um, 
more money in your bank account that you can go out and spend. That took place with supplies dwindling or supplies decreasing and demand increasing. That is the perfect storm for inflation. And that's where we are now. So um, what we want to talk about is how this affects each and every one of us. Um, so I, I think there are really three, three or four areas where it affects um, consumers. Certainly in your liabilities, managing your liabilities. Think about people that have, uh, Katie, what did you get to buy your house? You got a, what, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage? Yep. Okay. And you kind of got in under the wire. Right. Um, right you got in the right before thing. the interest rate hikes took place. Um, and that's another that's another point I want to make. When you bought your home, what did you start doing? You know, when I talked to you on the phone, you'd be going to Lowe's and Home Depot. You're buying, you know, yard stuff, garden stuff. You're buying, you know, I don't know if you bought a yeah. grill. It's you, a constant work in progress. Hey, you, you hired that guy that I got, Matt, you know, to trim your trees with a lopper and i'm like good grief come on um but you started spending money you know so you buy the house you buy the house and then what do you do you buy everything that you need to maintain the house yep what else what else did do you go out and buy all sorts of furniture stuff. furniture furniture uh linens uh light fixtures good grief yeah you name it so you know i i think i used to tell you katie i used to um, you know, when you have one of those V8 moments, um, uh, you have an epiphany of sorts. I remember going to the uh, pet store, and I'd always say to myself, how do they make money? You know, they're selling this dog for 100 bucks, goldfish for, you know, 3 bucks. You got, you know, maybe an iguana here, you know, some other stuff. But how, how do they really make money? And they got these folks walking around here and, you know, taking care of the animals. And it just never kind of fully came together. But then one day, I walked I walked into the pet store, and instead of making a beeline for the dogs, you know, because I'm a dog lover, I looked at all of the supplies up up on you know up on the shelves, just you know leashes and food and toys and all the things that go with buying the dog. So that's their uh, what do you call it? That's their stick. You know, they buy they have you buy the dog. And then you got to buy everything else that goes with the dog, right? Right. And it's a lot of money. And the the actual dog that you bought is a fraction of the cost of what you're going to put into everything else. You know, the toys, the food, the leashes, the uh, maybe maybe you're buying a little doggy house or a dog cage or um, what do you call those little things on the floor? The doggy beds, you know? Yeah. Everything. It's never ending. And anybody that owns a dog or a pet knows that. All right, we have a question from Nancy in Pensacola. Here's the question. Can you remind us which papers to keep and for how long? These are important papers, of course. Do you recommend saving bank statements, financial institution statements, credit card statements, saving tax forms forever? Um, uh, and then Nancy makes the comment, I am thinking about switching to electronic statements, but I am very uneasy about it. Can you clear this up for me? Thank you. All right. Let's start with all of the statements. The bank statements, I got to say this, I wouldn't keep any of them. Uh, you can get them. You can have them reproduced. Certainly, if you are comfortable receiving your bank statement in the mail, go ahead and continue doing that. Um, however, 
I would not retain those statements unless I absolutely needed them or uh, needed to do something uh, towards the end of the year or wanted to count up my inflows and outflows or you hadn't had a check come in and clear yet. But remember, if you have online banking, uh, please subscribe to that. It makes a lot of sense. And hanging on to your statements, your bank statements in particular, you can always have those reproduced uh, at your bank or credit union. Um, let's see, what is what else did uh, Nancy ask? Financial financial institution statements. Uh, you know, possibly your your investment advisor, um, maybe your life insurance. Uh, you know, you definitely want to save your life insurance policies. You want to save the contracts for your, you know, that you have with your investment advisor. If you own annuities, you want to save those contracts as well. I would say everything else in the normal flow of business, statements, etc. I would keep them for one year, and then I'd probably throw them out. Um, now we turn because they can be reproduced. Know that they can be reproduced. Uh, um, all financial institutions do keep um, records and archives of that. Now, and then we go to credit card statements. I would say the same thing. Review it and get rid of it. Um, review it and get rid of it. If it makes you feel better to hold on to it for a year, that makes sense. And then you can do a, an annual dump. And the way you do that is to, of course, shred them um, or have a nice fire. But... Uh, you know, do not throw those in your trash can, you know. Have a nice fire. Yeah, have a nice, uh, you know. That's what I always If you say. have a chiminea, a chiminea or, you well, know. Yes, we'll have a fiesta on that chiminea. Yeah. And burn some stuff. That's right. Yeah. Jenna comes alive when we talk about fire. Yeah. Oh, Look yeah. <laughs> tax returns, tax forms, different rules. I would keep them for at least two years. I personally keep mine for five years, maybe even longer. But if something comes up and you need to go back and look at it, I have a great deal more confidence in retrieving my own records than having the Internal Revenue Service reproduce these for me. So um, I would keep tax records at minimum for two years, uh, preferably three, four, or five but you do not have to keep tax records forever. Um, we had something, yeah, We Connie and I did have something come up, my wife and I, where we had to research something from about four or five years ago. Um, my tax preparer um, had a question, and uh, he wanted to know if we had it handy. He, I, I think he had it somewhere, but it might have been something that wasn't necessarily in the tax return, but was a piece of information from, from going way back. And, you know, naturally, you would think it would be cost basis information when you bought a piece of property or bought an asset um, in your investment account. Uh, it wasn't that, but it was something else, maybe possibly adding to a position. Um, all right, Nancy goes on to say that she is thinking about switching to electronic statements, but she is uneasy about about mm. doing this. Okay. I think a lot of people could be. Yes, and I think that's... Uh, uh, I think that's a generational thing. Oh, okay. Don't you? It's easier because they don't like to keep track of papers. Right. But and I do know that sometimes I'm like, what if the whole thing gets shut down? Yeah, and if you live, if you Jen live out in the country, girl. 
Hey, but listen, if you live out then I in, burn a, it. in a rural area, right? And you Big got your mailbox, girl. you got your mailbox out by the road, and you don't want that statement sitting in there. You know what I mean? Um, listen, in my neighborhood, I don't want my statement sitting in there either. Right. Okay? Well, yeah, you you know. Old mailboxes used to be right next to the door, right? Yeah, or you remember used to, you used to have the slot. They'd shove ah, it in the right. slot. We need to bring that back. In the door. Hey, just pay our postal workers more, and yeah. then we'll do that. Yeah, I think uh, I think the U.S. Postal Service is uh, looking at cost-cutting measures rather than uh, you know making people making walk people to the door again, <laughs> not having Jenna have to walk to her, uh, you know, out to the driveway to get her mail. You know, it just feels maybe more they secure. should maybe they should have everybody get a p.o box and you have to go get your mail why are you trying to, nothing, why do you hate us nothing gets <laughs> delivered nothing gets delivered no i uh i don't i don't well i can't say it scratch all. that anyway, one off the list yeah so um on choosing to go to electronic statements or not that you know that's a personal decision i think it depends on where you live i think it depends on how comfortable you are in accessing the information online and, uh, you know, I, I certainly say this to our clients, and Katie, you do as well. Um, if they're moving money to us and we're managing their money, uh, when they receive a statement and it comes through the physical mail, that account, their name is on it, their account number is on it, that dollar figures are on it. And, you know, I just think that that is something that a lot of people are not comfortable in receiving through the mail. So we have a, we have a lot of people that have made the transition to electronic statements. And there's two ways to go about that. You can have electronic statements delivered to your email, or you can elect to have um, um, not to receive statements at all through mail or email, and you can just pull up your statements online when you choose to review them. So that's a uh, uh, great question, Nancy, and thanks for asking it. Um, Again, you're listening to Your Wealth, Your Wallet on the Pensacola Expert Panel. If you have any questions, comments, or a story to share, please give us a call. Our number is 850-437-1620. You can also text or email. Um, Jenna, do you have that information? I do not. Yes, you can text in 850-437-1620. Actually, can I go ahead and read this? Question. question sure i believe it's a serious question um can an 80 year old get a student loan are there age limits on student loans gosh i i can't imagine that they would not be able to that would seem highly discriminatory you know age oh, discriminatory yeah, but probably right. gosh um i don't know the answer to that but may i add that most states including the state of florida allow what is it um you, you know our friend charlie that came on the show lives at azalea trace yes he has taken what 53 college courses oh yeah at continues. university of west yep. florida he yep. just walks out as azalea trace and yep. attends classes for grades and mm-hmm. um he and his wife have taken something along the order of 50 something college courses since living at azalea trace well, if you are a resident of the state of Florida and you're over 65 years of age, you do not pay for these college courses. I think that's amazing. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. We usually have Charlie on the air with us uh, 
for a show what is it once a year yep he comes in and uh just an amazing man i think he's uh charlie i'm oh, sorry so Nin- inspiring yeah he's in either i want to say he's 89 yeah he's in i think days. he's 89 years mm-hmm. old and uh yeah, such a cool guy just fascinated and uh anyway um so thank you for that question i have to say i do not know the answer you know what? it's better to try than yeah. not to try at all i would think you could get a student loan yeah, but look my- into where you want to take the courses and i bet you don't have to pay at all right how about that hey they should definitely do a freebie at That's, that point. Come on, that man. is exactly right. If you're trying to learn and sit in that classroom with all, yeah, yeah, I doubt there's any age go limit. for it. The, right, no age limit. No age to limit. going, but maybe student loan. Hey, let I me ask it. you this. Let me ask you this. I'm just being honest here. Would you make? How comfortable would you be? You know, a lot of people. Uh, you know, when you're looking to make a loan as the underwriter. You're looking back at the ability to pay and the ability to, you know, be paid in full, right? So at 80 years old, you know, let's let's face it, you know, that whole, uh, you know, the longevity tables, you, you know, you may have your life expectancy may be only a couple of years. It may not be a prudent loan to make by the underwriters of that financial institution. Right. But, um, but anyway, great question. I don't have an answer. And our student loans wiped when you pass away no i do not think so i think they are you know what i heard that i heard that somewhere i thought i heard that too but now i'm second guessing myself because i thought there were recent changes and so i'm not i know i'm i think well at least at one that's a good thing to find out they are an unsecured loan okay there's Mm -hmm. no collateral i know i'm pretty sure that the collateral is your ability to earn money going forward but I look, you know, um, the estate would absorb it, and I think would pay it. But you know, let's face it; it's not collateralized, it's not secured, so um, there's no recourse, certainly, for the uh, financial institution making the loan, other than you know, um, uh, applying a lien against your estate. Okay, we are we're out of time. We're out of time. Again. You did great. Okay. So interest rates affect us all, Katie. You got in under the wire. Congratulations on your mortgage. But <laughs> the rest so. of us, as far as borrowing going forward, we encourage you to probably wait for interest rates to go down again. All right. Thank you for joining us and have a great week. Have a great week, everybody.